what advice would you give an aspiring investor six to 12 months behind you? It really comes down to the quote, luck is when opportunity meets preparation. Mm -hmm. And I heard it another way the other day. It was James Clear. He wrote The Atomic Habits. I saw a quote that he sent out said, lucky opportunities tend to be stumbled upon, not handed out. Mm -hmm. And then he said, if you're waiting for someone to just like hand you an opportunity, it's unlikely to happen. But if you're just moving forward, if you're engaged in the mix, if you're exploring, if you're trying, then something good is going to happen. This is the Diary of an Apartment Investor podcast, and I'm your host, Brian Briscoe. Now, this podcast is designed for the aspiring apartment investor and literally gives them the opportunity to ask the questions that will help them get to the next level. So if you're an aspiring apartment investor, this podcast is for you. Now, this podcast is brought to you by the Tribe of Titans Multifamily Educational Community. It's your one-stop shop for learning how to succeed at apartment investing. Welcome to the Diary of an Apartment Investor podcast. I'm your host, Brian Briscoe. Very excited for today's show. I got my good friend, Casey Christensen, on the line with us. We're going to talk about how he closed a 15-unit apartment complex in Little Rock, Arkansas. Casey, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Brian. I'm really happy to be here. Yeah, happy to get you on finally. It's been, I mean, known each other for a couple of years now, and yeah. uh, good to see good to see you guys closed. Excited for it. So, and incidentally, you know, Casey and I, I mean, we've only known each other for a couple of years, but we, we grew up fairly close to each other. There is that. We found that out a lot later, though. Anyway, tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, well, thanks again for having me. It's a real honor to be here. I live in Utah and I have four kids, a wife, and currently still work a W-2 job in the corporate finance world and trying to get that financial freedom through real estate investing. So. Mm -hmm. Now, in the corporate finance world, I mean, you. my understanding is you're doing foreign exchanges and, and crypto and stuff like that. Can you tell us a little bit more what you do? Usually, I gloss over this, but yeah. I, I find that area fascinating. Sure. GPS Capital Markets, the company I work for, they operate a lot like a bank. So we're a brokerage firm that deals with corporate clients who have employees are importing materials from other countries. And we're kind of um, an, an FX advisor for them. So we're not like a prop shop where we're doing like your speculative trades in the market. I do work on a trade desk. So we do manage all the volumes that come through. Mm -hmm. And we also handle all the derivative products, which includes like options and forwards and things like that. So when our clients have balance sheet hedging needs where we have a proprietary system to help them fulfill that. And so in a lot of ways, we operate kind of like a bank would, like a JP Morgan, E of A and their FX departments, just because of the clientele that we work with. But we definitely are constantly monitoring the market, looking at the fundamentals of these different countries that we're operating in. And yeah, that's kind of, it's kind of more what we do rather than like the speculative prop trading. Okay. So no speculation, pretty much everything you guys are doing is related to how, how companies are operating and doing business between countries for the most part. Yeah. And so we we hold like several of our own accounts in multiple currencies like Euro, Pound, Hong Kong, Mex, CAD, so on and so forth. And we do hold balances in those accounts. And so a big part of our job is risk management. So we're constantly monitoring the risk that we're holding with the balances that we hold in those different accounts. And so that's a big part of what we're doing is making sure that our risk is aligned with what's happening in the market, which right now it's a 
it's a really volatile time with everything that's happening. And so it, it's a busy time for us, for yeah. sure. Yeah, volatile is right. I mean, there's it's an area that I don't know a lot. I know that uh, it's, it's extremely important. I think the extent of you know my knowledge in foreign currencies is just for me traveling. You know, hey, what's the exchange yeah. rate today? And where am I in this country? Anyway, that's, that's like cool. a, that's fascinating. I mean, I lived in Brazil for a year and the year that I was there, their currency, it wasn't a collapse. I mean, their inflation rate was around 20%, which was not a not terrible for them, you know, which is weird. It puts things in perspective where we're sitting right now. I remember my buying power on the US dollar. I mean, just what what I could buy for a, you know, the a dollar equivalent when I got there versus a year later was crazy. You know, it was, mm-hmm. yeah. it was significantly more. Like I said, fascinating subject for me. But cool. So you work in the finance industry, mostly mm-hmm. related to foreign exchange and, and currencies. So yes. pretty cool stuff. What got you into real estate or what got you branching out into multifamily at least? So about, I guess when we first bought our first home in 2012, it was a townhouse mm-hmm. and it had a very small yard. So a couple of years later, I decided I'm like, I want a house with a bigger yard. And I was trying to figure out how to do it. Mm -hmm. And I came across this idea, which I didn't know was house hacking, but I was like, man, if we bought a bigger house that had like a rental piece to it, Mm -hmm. that was on maybe a bigger property, we could probably live, you know, as I started running the numbers for the same amount Mm -hmm. as what we're living now. And that's how we got into the house we're in here is it's a Rambler that has kind of two basically living levels. So in the basement, Mm -hmm. there's a full kitchen. It's a walkout basement with three beds and a bath. And then upstairs, there was three beds and two baths with a full functioning kitchen. It felt like a really big leap for us at the time to jump up from what we were in to this with like a, you know, have like a half acre property. When we ran the numbers, like, but if we rent out a portion of the house, we can actually live for almost free. We could live for less than what we're living here. And so we actually moved into the basement of our house and rented out the upstairs and we lived mortgage free for about four years before our family got big enough that we decided to take a little house. But that's kind of where the light bulb went off. Like, oh, wow, there's something to this real estate stuff. Like I need to, I need to look into this more that led me down the path of like, what are the different types of real estate investing you can do? A couple of years after we moved into here is when I learned about like syndication and multifamily apartment investing. So I started looking into that and getting more serious about like the education side. How do I underwrite? How do I determine a good deal? How do I analyze a market? So on and so forth. Really tried to go that route at the beginning. Was just struggling to make a lot of traction. So I kind of pivoted and ended up going with a couple of smaller purchases, bought a duplex in Columbus, Ohio that needed a full renovation. So I did like a full gut job rehab on that, did a burr on it where I was able to refinance it and pull out about 90% of my money, took that money and bought three more properties. And then kind of stumbled upon this partnership with a couple of guys that I've known for a really long time, but I didn't know they were investing, reached out to one of them on just a whim really, and found out they were also buying real estate in Little Rock. And that kind of led to the partnership and where we're at now with the 15 unit. Nice. Yeah. I love the the transition there. I mean, I think that what happens with a lot of people is they get into a good real estate property or good real estate deal and it opens their eyes. You know, I see that mm-hmm. over and over again. It's just like, wow, there's something to this, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Living for a couple of years without having to pay any living expenses. That's huge. I mean, yeah, the burr in Columbus. And incidentally, I mean, were you living in Utah at the time of doing that burr? That that yeah. Flip? Okay. A lot of people look at out of state investing like that as as something like a bridge too far. How did you manage that from halfway across the country? 
There was a lot of challenges that came with it for sure. I found Columbus, Ohio as a market because I did some market research for an individual here in Utah who does a lot of bigger syndications. And as I was trying to learn how to do syndications, I was trying to find where I could provide value and had been interacting with this individual. And I was like, let me help you. I want to help you so I can learn. He says, well, do market research on tertiary markets. And he gave me a list of like 15 markets. And Columbus was one of them. And so I kind of just started looking a little more at Columbus, found a really good agent who started sending me deal flow. And I'd been putting offers on stuff that wasn't such a big rehab proposition. Uh And I just, the market was competitive and I wasn't getting anything done as far as like I was putting in offers, but I just, I was always missing the mark a little. And he brought me this deal off market and said, Hey, you've been, you know, putting in a lot of offers. Like, why don't you just do this burr? Like I, I know these contractors, I have lenders and I'd kind of built a not a good enough relationship with that agent that I felt comfortable, like taking that risk, which I knew was going to be a big risk. Yeah. Dealing with the GC, like the general contractor was, was really hard from afar, just not knowing what was able to happen, trying to put in like systems and different processes so that I could feel comfortable with what was going on. But there was definitely a lot of challenges that came with it. But at the end of the day, it it worked out really well. And I did it like right during the middle of the pandemic. I was doing it in 2020, which added a whole nother set of complications to yeah. it. Yeah, extra, extra layer right there of just yeah. extra stuff that you had to worry about. Yeah, there was a couple of months in 2020 where I don't think anybody knew what they were supposed to be doing, you know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Go to work. Do I mean, am I really, you know, uh, required? <laughs> Am I really uh, yeah. <laughs> Central you know? worker? Um, yeah. Well, you made that work for you and then pivoted into this uh this 15 unit. Let's talk a little bit about that one. You you briefly mentioned some of the partners that you have. Talk a little bit more in detail about how this partnership came together. I had been reading a book, I don't even remember what book it was now, but they it's or maybe it wasn't even a book, but it just talked about like making sure you're staying in contact with people that were important to you. And so I was thinking about that and a couple of people came to my mind and it had recommended that when they come to your mind, just send a text, just reach out, let them know you're thinking about them and what they have meant to you in your life. And so I sent a text out to one of my friends and we kind of struck up this conversation. He said, well, what are you doing now? And I said, well, I still work for GPS, but my I'm really kind of trying to pivot into real estate. And I, you know, I've been buying some real estate in Columbus, Ohio. And he's like, oh man, we need to get on the phone because I've been buying real estate with another one of our friends in Little Rock. And we started that dialogue. We started talking more frequently. And these were people that I served a, a mission for my church with and had gone to college with. I had a really good relationship, you know, but as we kind of got married, we went our own way. They lived in different states now. And so I hadn't heard from him in, in years, but we were able to kind of rekindle that relationship. And uh, they'd actually already kind of stumbled into this 15 unit by the time like we got together and then they got it under contract as we were talking. And then we decided like, Hey, you know, we have some different skill sets. We all have really similar goals and where we want to get to and what we want to achieve through real estate. Like this might be a really good opportunity for us to to partner up and see how we work together on a property like this and see if we can maybe take this even bigger and, and start to scale up. Yeah. So rekindle little relationships. I love that. And that's that's a great idea, you know, whether it's business or not. I think keeping in touch with a lot of people is is a great idea. And I I mean, I served a mission for my church as well. I mean, I, I guess it's the same one, but I'm used to saying my, but right. uh, yeah, same. <laughs> yeah. And then, and then with the military moving around a lot, I've got a lot of connections that are, you know, mm. uh, 
yeah. you know, it's three, four or five years removed or at least, but yeah, I mean, definitely a good idea to keep in contact with these people. You know, you never know how you can help them. You never know how they can help you or when right. something like this could, could materialize. Good advice there. You said you did a lot of market research on, on Columbus before jumping in on that one. I assume mm-hmm. you did some similar market research on Little Rock. Tell us, tell us why you like Little Rock. Little Rock has some really good things going for it. The population growth isn't as strong as like what you'd expect to see in other markets, but it's been steady. And it actually in the MSA has some really good pockets of growth. And this is where it came really critical for us to have like a partner that was on the ground. So our one partner lives there in Little Rock and is kind of really aware of like where the pockets of growth are happening, where the gentrification, you know, where the money's going. So there was that it's business friendly. There's a lot of like business growth going on in the area. There's a lot of jobs, you know, the unemployment rates at like below three and a half percent. So they're, they've got a really strong employment market. They're really diversifying that employment base. You know, it's not like just one section of like just one industry. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, it's a pretty diverse economy. So jobs, employment growth, price point was like a good thing, but really where our competitive advantage we felt like we had with having a partner there, we also had a really good lender that would give us incredible terms on projects, which really kept us in the Little Rock market. And it's also one we feel like isn't as high risk when, if there is a recession, you know, there's a lot of concern about is a recession coming? Is, are we already in a recession? What's it going to look like? Interest rates are climbing. Little Rock's been pretty steady. We haven't seen like wild swings one way or the other with, with the prices. Well, prices have come up in Little Rock over the last decade and a half when you try to compare that against like the Utah market or the Phoenix market or the Florida market, Texas so on and so forth, it it kind of pales in comparison, but it is a very stable market where we feel like in a recession, we're less likely to see a big drop off in prices as well. So that was kind of an appealing aspect for us as well. Yeah. And I, I, I follow a couple of people who put you know a lot of data out there and who do a lot of the quantitative research. And I mean, there's good reasons to look at data and to, to look at the, the numbers like that. But Typically during recessions, you know, if there is a downturn in real estate, and there's not always a downturn in real estate when there's a, right. a recession. I think most people remember 2008 and 2009, but you know, when you expand the the aperture a lot wider, there's not always a downturn in real estate right. when there's a recession. But yeah. when there is, typically the cities or the areas that had the the highest year over year price increases prior to the recession, they're the ones that typically have the biggest drop. So what you're saying makes complete sense. You know, and it's, it's true of Columbus as well, where they haven't had this mad appreciation like you've seen in Phoenix, you know, or, or right. Austin or some of the bigger, the hotter markets in the last five years. If this recession does affect real estate prices, which I'm, I'm I think it's going to have to, Little Rock is, is probably not going to drop. Anyway, just basically repeating what you just said, what he yeah. said. So cool. So I mean, that's that's how the team came together. That's that's the why Little Rock. Now you mentioned they they'd already been working with this deal when when you reconnected with them. Can you give some insight on on how they found the deal and how you know this this thing came together? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it was a, it was an on market deal. It'd been listed for quite some time when their agent brought it to, brought them 
brought it to them. And uh, I think the sellers, they're, they're also out of state investors who had owned the property for some time and probably seen like some decent appreciation on it. And I, we're just ready to exit and sell and get out of it into something different. And I think they were a little bit anxious because it had been sitting on the market for five, six months when my partners found the deal. And so they were able to kind of negotiate the price down about a hundred thousand before I even came in. And then we got it under contract and I came in around like right when they were doing the inspection phase. And so we did the inspection phase and kind of were able to get a little more credits, um, on the price and stuff from, from what was in the inspection report. And it was actually in pretty good shape for the most part, but there was a few things where we were able to, again, negotiate with the sellers just because of the position they were in and the position we were in. And yeah. So sorry. I hopefully I answered your question, I think on how yeah. we found it. Yeah. So listed property now, is there any indication why it sat on the market so long? I think, and it's interesting. I think Part of it is because it was a mixed unit. You know, five of the units are commercial, 10 of the units are, are residential. Mm-hmm. And I know before this deal came about, like I wasn't looking at, at mixed unit stuff. I was really hyper focused on multifamily. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I don't know if, again, I'm fairly new to the market. So I don't know if like that's fairly common for the market. It didn't seem like it was. I think the agent was fairly surprised that it sat on the market for as long as it had, especially considering the area. It's in a very nice area. It's right next to an out big outdoor mall that's getting a lot of renovations done. It's right next to some hospitals. Um, it's in a really good part of, of Little Rock. But the only thing we could think of is like, maybe people are just a little turned off by the fact that it's a mixed unit and their expenses were really high. So I think if people, you know, didn't really understand the value add proposition of it and saw that like, oh, there's a lot of really high expenses here without kind of digging into it, you would kind of look at that price point and be like, oh, it's kind of going to be hard to make the deal work. And without knowing how to do a mixed unit, you know, that's kind of my guesses on it. So. Yeah. And, you know, looking at the price point and you guys picked it up for just over 900,000, if I remember right, I think 950 is what you told me. So 950,000 yeah. for the 15 units. When you look at that price point, you know, it's it's accessible to a lot of people. And mm. while you were speaking, I I would think that a lot of people who are trying to get into multifamily aren't looking at the mixed use. You know, it, it's maybe a bridge too far for a lot of your, you know, who who buys million dollar properties, you know, people who can, you know, afford that price tag. It, the the local investors who can afford that may not be looking for something mixed used. So good, good point on that one. I think that that's a valid point, valid consideration there. So, mm. so tell us, tell us about the, uh, the business plan, what you guys plan to do with it. Like I said, it's in a really, really good area. And as far as how the units were taken care of, they were treated pretty well. Like there's not a whole lot of deferred maintenance or like really serious issues. Like I, like the mechanicals, everything's in really good shape. Our business plan though, is to come in and update the units, give everything kind of a facelift. Uh, we're going to do some work on the exterior, increase, like improve the signage for the commercial units, uh, paint some stuff and add new railings clean up the lot. On the interiors, we're doing refacing cabinets in the kitchen, backsplash, new faucets, some LVT flooring, and uh, and then really reducing expenses right up the bat. We found that the current, uh, the people who owned it before us were paying for all the utilities for every tenant that was in the building. And so there was about almost $15,000 a year right there because everything's sub metered. So there wasn't really any reason not to have the tenant's 
paying for their own stuff that previous sellers just didn't. And it's actually, you know, from the market research we've done, it's very common in the market for residents to pay for their own utilities. So it was kind of a a real low hanging fruit that way. They also had some really high um, maintenance expenses that didn't really make sense. Like they were spending 12 to 15,000 a year on like HVAC expenses because they were just getting like maintenance, just like quarterly maintenance on them, which you know, as we've dug into that, we're going to be able to cut that expense down really quite a bit. Rents are a little below market. They're not significantly below market. Mm-hmm. Um, but the other thing we've, one of my partners is in the medical field. And as I was doing some research, we came across that like, hey, Little Rock's like 200 sh- nurses short. And we're like right close to four hospitals. Like we're within walking distance. So part of our business plan is to turn some of them into short-term rentals that are going to house traveling nurses. Mm-hmm. We're getting probably close to six fifty a month in rent. Um, market rent should be closer to seven fifty with the plans that we have. When we do the renovated units, um, we think we should be able to get eight to eight twenty-five pretty easily, um, being conservative. But if we do the traveling nurses and some of the units, maybe four to five, then that should bump it up to about fifteen hundred a month for those ones. So there's a lot of opportunity to add um, cash flow to the deal and and really cut expenses. I think we'll be able to it being really cons- if we don't do any of the short-term rentals and just focus on on long-term and improving the units increasing those rents to market and cutting expenses, we, we should add about 35000 to the NOI in year one. So. Nice. so the deal works without the short term, but if you can do the short term, that's all gravy after that. I mean, Exactly. Yeah. I guess I use another food metaphor, metaphor, icing on the cake, you know, Absolutely. <laughs> so, you know, pick, pick your metaphor. Sounds, sounds like a pretty, pretty interesting deal and sounds like it's uh it's in a great, great spot. So love, mm-hmm. love to catch up and, and hear how that's running uh, a year from now. So let's talk uh, talk numbers on you know financing side. So it's a nine hundred and fifty thousand dollar purchase price. I think you told me you guys have just over or just under a quarter million for for renovations. You know, talk mm-hmm. to us about, about financing. Talk us about talk to us about bringing the equity together and what that picture looks like and how it worked out. We found a local lender, our bank, a local bank, and the lender is one that my partners have worked with on multiple deals. It's basically, and this was what was really appealing to us about staying in Little Rock is that he's given us 85% loan to cost. So, I mean, we only had to come up 15% down for the purchase price and 15% down for all the renovations. So we provided the the budget, um, the renovation budget scope of work of, you know, it was about 215,000. And uh, yeah, they're funding 85% of that. And so it's a, it's a three-year term um, amortized over 30 years. It's interest only for the first year. Okay. So, so interest only product, you know, you're, you wrap in a lot of the, the renovations into the loan, which many times is a good idea. Interest only three-year term. And I think you told me before one year, I don't know if you brought it out just now. Sorry, my, my short-term memory just drew a blank, but one, one year extension is what I had in my notes. So yes, basically yes. you've got four years on this this loan to get everything fixed up and to either get a new loan or to sell the pro- sell a property. Correct. Yep. All right. Sounds and good. The, and the goal is to refinance. I think we we like the area a lot. We like what's happening in Little Rock. And so I think and where it's just us three on the deal, we didn't bring in any investors or anything. And so no one's going to be clamoring to get their money back by a certain time frame. Um, we like the idea of, of refinancing it and pulling as much money out as we can when when the time is right um, to redeploy that capital is kind of our, our main plan. But 
you know, we can adjust as needed. Yeah. Yeah. And when, when you do a, a joint venture or just a, a regular partnership instead of a syndication on a deal, you have a, a little more flexibility because it's just whatever the partners decide you want to do. You don't have a lot of investors to worry about or, or take care of. Or what I mean is you, your investors have certain expectations and you've made certain you know projections or maybe promises to the investors about what the deal is going to look like, the length. It's a lot easier to pivot when there's just three people into in, in a deal. Right. Assuming you get along, of course. Yeah. So, so far. So far. So far. So far. And they're people you've known for several years. So hopefully that uh, continues to to work like that. So now you you closed end of August, you know, so about a month ago from when we're recording. Tell us how it's gone so far. Everything takes longer than you think it's going to take. That's like uh, just something I've learned having invested in real estate since, you know, 2020 or whatever with the with the renovation project. So, you know, we learned a lot through the closing process because one thing we didn't really have in place was like a, a checklist, which is something we've really tried to change since then. Getting a, a contractor in there, we had the contractor lined up that we wanted to use, but we didn't have it lined up to a point where like, hey, as soon as we close, let's get in there because there was two vacant units when we were going in that we'd planned on renovating. Mm-hmm. And because we had just, we were just still trying to figure everything out and it's going to be a learning process along the whole way. I'm sure yeah. uh, we just didn't have it set up to a point like, Hey, we close on this day. We're going to have the general contractors in this day. Mm-hmm. Um, part of our business plan is to add like washers and dryers. And, you know, he had a plumber go in there a couple of weeks ago with uh, it's part of the GC company we're using. And, you know, because of how we're do you going to access the plumbing and have to disrupt some of the things that the commercial tenants are doing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we we're finding that's pushing timelines back to October. And one thing like all of us overlooked as we were going through the closing process was like, we, none of us like called and got insurance like on the property and so mm-hmm. like two days before we we're closing our our lenders like hey um insurance what insurance do you got and, and we're yeah. all each other like hey did you should you get insurance uh you know, so, yeah. right uh so checklist was a big thing a big takeaway that we got from this like hey we need to be really clear on like what our due diligence checklist items are you know what our closing checklist items are and then what to do right after we close so that we aren't facing this position when we go into another property, like, oh, when's our GC going to get in there? They're going to know, like, I need to get in there days out the day after we close or whatever. So um, I got to say some some lenders are better than that at others. I mean, I've got right in front of me on my desk, we're looking at a JV property in Ohio right now. And this is probably, let's see, a 10 page checklist from the lender of everything that they need. And I think some lenders are better at broadcasting what they need and letting everybody know, hey, this is this is what we need. This is the timeline we need it. If you want to close on time, you've got to have all this stuff in at the right time. So yeah, some, some lenders are better at helping people out. That's definitely a lesson learned. And something else I'll point out before you know turning the mic back to you is I advocate a lot for, for newer apartment investors or newer syndicators to go smaller on the properties. It's a lot better to make that mistake or to build your systems on a 15 unit when you have a large margin for error than mm-hmm. it is on something 10, 10 times that size. Yeah, no, I'd, I'd agree 100%. And and that's that was one thing we felt good about too, is we feel like, you know, our goal is to go bigger, is to eventually um, syndicate a project and, and help, you know, other investors that are looking to get returns on their money. 
But what's nice about where we're at now is we do kind of have that flexibility to learn a little bit because it's our own money. We all have similar goals, but it also makes us a little more nimble with the with the business plan too. We can take a risk of trying to do the short term rentals, and if we have a couple months where you know we furnished a unit and we didn't get anything, and it was, it's just a learning. It's just a learning process. And so, you know, there's definitely a lot of advantages, I think, to starting small and not trying to take off too big of a bite. And lots of people do get into bigger units quicker and and are very successful. But we 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 kind of like the trajectory we're on. You know, we're finding some of the tenants are um, the commercial tenants. It's been really funny because they've been really psyched about how we're changing the property management to where they're going to now pay through a software instead of having to drive to the property and write a check. You know, they're all really jazzed about it. We'll see if they continue to love us as we pass off, you know, the 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 utilities to them and the, the real estate, you know, expenses or uh, taxes to them, their portion of it anyway but well, some that's, of that's are... what most retail spaces do so right. I mean, if there are people who've been involved in this for a while i mean they're, they're, they're probably going to say well i guess i figured this would um, eventually be coming you know <laughs> and that's that's what we see a lot when we make changes like that is people just say i i knew it was going to come at some point yeah yeah for sure. And and some of the residential tenants, though, they're fighting us on it. Like, no, I want to write you a check. And so we're, we're finding out what their personalities are like and which ones are, are more challenging to deal with. And luckily, most of them are a month to month. So, you know, if we need to, we can we can kind of move on from them and, and get like the tenant base that we're looking for in there as well. But So just the thing you learn about real estate is it just never moves as fast as you want. So that's been like kind of the one of the bigger challenges is like we'd like to get in there and make things happen really fast. And like you know, but it just, it just takes time because you have to, like, if you are going to ask somebody to move out, it's a 30 day notice process. And and then you want to make sure you you do right by them as well. So you're not like, you know, kicking them out or anything, but so just kind of making those transitions, getting the right property management software. I mean, it's really building infrastructure now that is a pain point for us where it's like, okay, now what kind of systems do we need? We've kind of, we've kind of jumped into this deal. Now, if we want to scale, if we want to make it a replicable kind of business where we can go bigger, what do we need to put in place? And so that's kind of our main thing that we're working on at this juncture. Perfect. Now that that kind of probably answers most of my next question. I usually ask, you know, what's next for you? And you've already kind of alluded to it, but you can just specifically answer that question. You know, what's, what's coming up next? Yeah. I, as I've mentioned, we want to scale, we want to go bigger. Um, so the goal is, is to, uh, to lock up, you know, a deal that we can actually raise money on and, mm-hmm. and syndicate. We're right now, we've, we like the Little Rock market. We have a really good lender. We have some really good teams in place as far as our general contractor, having our asset manager there, which is one of our partners. We're looking, you know, 40 to 75 units is kind of what we're, we're concentrating on now. And, you know, the goal is to syndicate that. Nice. I think you guys are, are well on your way. You're setting up the, the, the framework right now and having the relationships that uh, 40 to 75 should be a lot easier. Favorite question of the whole thing. What advice would you give an aspiring investor six to 12 months behind you? It really comes down to the quote, luck is when opportunity meets preparation. Mm-hmm. And I heard it another way the other day. It was James Clear. He wrote The Atomic Habits. I saw a quote that he sent out and said, lucky opportunities tend to be stumbled upon, not handed out. Mm-hmm. And then he said, you know, if you're waiting for someone to just like hand you an opportunity, it's unlikely to happen. But if you're just moving forward, if you're engaged in the mix, if you're exploring, if you're trying, then something good is going to happen. Some kind of lucky thing will happen. And I, when I look at like what's happened in my past to get 
to this point. That's what I feel like has happened for me is, you know, I haven't moved as fast as I wanted to. I wanted to be well beyond where I am now at this point. And, and it just hasn't happened the way I wanted it to. And that's okay. That's just kind of my journey. But like, I didn't, I didn't quit because it was hard for me to network. I didn't quit because it was hard for me to find the right partners or it was, or it was too expensive in my home market. As I explored, as I started working with a syndicator here that wanted me to do market research, that gave me some level of comfort to recognize like, oh, hey, I can tell by looking at certain metrics what markets are better than other markets. And then I just need to find the right team there. And then I was able to invest in Columbus and then stumbling into my friend, I guess, from the past. That happened because I was trying to develop and grow and read and learn as much as I could. And so luckily I came into this deal. And in five years, I may, some people may hear this story and be like, man, he was really lucky to get into that deal when he did. Lucky to happen to call his buddy right when they they started this. I mean, I think you're right. You know, that you make your own luck for the most yeah. part in this world. And you know, that's what you did. You you reached out to somebody and you wanted to get involved and you started doing market research. You reached out to somebody else thinking, and I'm sure you reached out to more than two people. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, those it wasn't it wasn't like the the Salt Lake City syndicator was the you know, call number one and your old mission buddy was call number two, right? Right. Yeah, no, you're exactly right. You just kind of have to keep plugging away and keep going. And there's got to be a certain level of resilience in this industry. It's what's really cool about real estate. It's a pretty simple business model. You have your income and expenses that gives your NOI, which gives you your property purchase price, blah, blah, blah. But it's not easy to do. It's not easy to get into and to execute on these business plans. But you just have to have enough resiliency to kind of keep plugging away. And eventually something lucky is going to happen for you, but it probably won't happen on your time frame it won't happen when you want it to, but it, yeah. it, when you keep working towards it, it does seem, and I still have a big uphill climb. I feel like in front of me, you know, I still have a long way to go to get to where I want to be, but I feel like, you know, I'm not even close to it in that exponential jump. Yeah. Yet. I'm just going to keep plugging away though. And, and hope luckily I get there. So yeah, yeah, luckily. Yeah, luckily. I'm sure you'll make your own luck and you'll you'll get there. That said, last question, how can listeners learn more about you? Yeah, no, thank you. Uh the best way to probably contact me is LinkedIn. Um, I'm pretty active there, but you can email me at Casey at fortifiedequity.com. We're still working on uh on our websites and we haven't got that quite built, but LinkedIn's where I'm I'm pretty active. And then I'm always and I check my email frequently too. So right. either one of those would be great. All right. We'll put links to both those in the show notes. And hey, Casey, very much appreciate your time today. Congratulations on closing on that deal and best of luck uh, as you operate it and you get into the larger spaces. Awesome. I really appreciate you having me, Brian. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Diary of an Apartment Investor podcast by the Tribe of Titans. If you're still listening, you obviously liked it. So go ahead and subscribe to the podcast. Leave a five-star rating and review if you haven't already. And then make sure to check out our YouTube channel, which incidentally has a ton of video content that you'll also enjoy and learn from. Now, if you're interested in being on the show, go to our website, diaryofanapartmentinvestor.com and fill out the questionnaire on the website. And for more educational content and for more information about our educational community, check us out at thetribeoftitans.info.